While the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know where for. We're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city. For the city. Well, hello, hello. Good morning. That like uh, video had a little beat to it. I was like a little late because I was kind of dancing. Anybody else? Okay, that's just me. <laughs> anyway, good morning. Um, I'm Joy Gonzalez. I'm the campus pastor here, and it is so good to see you, like Elizabeth said, and to worship with you today, whether you're listening on the podcast, watching on a screen, or here in the room. It is so good to be with you in worship. And I am really excited today because we are going to be spending the next few moments together talking about those people. Okay, raise your hand if you think you know who those people are. Okay, no pointing, no elbow bumping, none of that. Those people, you know, those people who are always irritated about everything, those people who are shouting and posting a bunch of stuff on Instagram and TikTok and yeah, those people. Those people, you know, who are critical, challenging, controlling, arrogant, you know, the people who know everything about everything and they tell everyone. Anybody know a few of those people? They're the people at your office space that are arguing, gossiping, spreading rumors, the people you like try to avoid in the hallway. Um, For some of (laughs) y'all, maybe all of us, we, uh, we're getting ready for the holidays and you've got some of those people gonna show up at your house for Thanksgiving dinner. Anybody an amen in the room? That should have gotten a big amen. Because friends, every family's got one of those people in it. And in fact, if you think maybe your family doesn't have one of those people in it, you might actually be that person. <laughs> I'm just, I'm here for you today. And we're talking about those people, those people that are so easily offended and angry, angered in our world. Those people that we run up against that get under our skin and sometimes easily anger and offend us because they're everywhere requesting to talk to managers in every corner of the world. And so what do we do with those people? What do we do, here, let's flip this around, when we are tempted to be those people? I I don't know if you have sensed this or feel this, but it seems like our world has gotten more angry, like that anger has escalated. And let's take the airlines, for example. We're here in Dallas, where we've got major airline services here. And did you know in 2020, or just kind of right before 2020 and the pandemic hit, there were about 143 on average cases of unruly passengers that would get reported to um, the FFA, the or FAA, the Flight Association, Aviation Association. 143. Last year alone, in 2021, there were 3,715 cases of unruly passengers reported to the FAA. 
That's crazy. We went from on average 143 to over nearly 4,000. People are angry. A few weeks ago, I, at my house, I was taking a nap, and that is rare for me to actually ever like, want to be still and get a nap. Can anyone relate? And so you know when you get that precious time and you're resting and it's good, you're like in that deep afternoon sleep. And I was awakened by people screaming outside of my house. And it startled me. I jumped up, I'm looking for my shoes, thinking, oh my gosh, are my kids okay? My husband, what's, what's happening outside my window? It was two of my neighbors, grown men, screaming at the top of their lungs about, you know what? politics. They were yelling in my front yard about their political viewpoints and how the other person was wrong. It's gotten crazy and we feel it everywhere we go. So what do we do? What do we do when we run up against those people? What do we do when we see something that gets under our skin and deeply offends or hurts us? How do we live a life that doesn't just play into the cycles of chaos, but maybe flips the script? Because I think just maybe as people of God, people who follow Jesus in the world, that God wants us to act a different way. In fact, one thing that I think is true of all of us is is this, that we could probably all say being offended is inevitable. You will have your chance today. Even if you would say, I'm not one of those people. I don't get easily angered. I've like got my zen going on. There is a good shot. You will walk out of here. Someone will cut you off in traffic. You'll jump online and that person will be saying that thing that really gets under your skin. Chances are high and probably most likely that you will be offended. That's inevitable. But living offended, living angry, living in such a way that it changes who you are and changes your life is your choice. And so that's what I want to look at today. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks is what do we do with the angry people in our lives? Who are the mean people and how do we deal with it? The really good news for you and I is that this isn't new. In fact, we're not the first people to ask these questions and for the world to feel this chaotic. In fact, the world in which the early church was birthed out of was a pretty hostile and volatile environment. Just think about Christianity as a movement for a moment. You have people coming out of various religious traditions, some coming out of pagan traditions, so no religious background, um, and you've got all of these ideals coming together There's going to be some confusion. There's going to be some hostility. We read about that in the New Testament. All of that is set against the backdrop of the rise and and growth of the Roman Empire in the world, which even to this date has been one of the harshest conquests across the map that history has seen. And you've got this empire bringing together cultures and peoples with differing values. And and so you've got ideologies and different ways of life colliding on a regular basis. 
Plus, you've got the strong hand and arm of the Roman Empire ready to suppress anybody who doesn't get in line, anybody who's suspicious. This is the backdrop of the early Christian church. They were no stranger to hostility in those people. And so the early Christian church leaders, that's the environment that they speak to us um, out of. And not only did they have a lot to say then, but they have a lot to say to us today about how we deal with escalating anger in our culture. How do we live as the people of God in a different, more life-giving whole way? So one of my favorite apostles, the Apostle Paul, because he was a church planter like me, and I think he would have come to Uptown Church if, it was, if he were here today. But Apostle Paul starts all of these churches, and he says to one of them in Ephesus, the Ephesian church, he says this, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. I love, love what Paul says here. And in fact, if you are a note-taking type of person and you like titles, I would title today's message, The Anatomy of Anger. Because Paul gets to the heart of the chaos and the conflict and culture. And he goes right to anger and says, here's what you need to know. And so we're going to break that down like Paul does for us. And the first thing he says about anger, which maybe some of us as Christians are not used to hearing, is this. In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. That seems pretty basic, but I love the distinguishing like, that he's making in that statement. One, he's not saying, your anger is bad, your anger is not real, get rid of it. What Paul in that very first statement acknowledges is that we get angry, that anger is part of our expression of being human, that there are things that anger us, that that's an emotion that God has given us, that there's not anything wrong with that being angry or feeling angry, but he goes on and says, don't stop there. Do not let your anger, what is very human and natural to you, lead you to sin. Do not let your anger lead you then into a place that's dangerous for you, for me, and for everyone. And he says this, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry and give the devil a foothold. Do not let the devil give you a foothold. He goes on and he says, here's one thing you need to know if you're not going to let your anger become sin in your life and destroy your life, is that anger held on to has the potential to become a foothold in your life. That anger that's not dealt with, anger that's left to itself, anger that's allowed to fester becomes a foothold in your life. Now, I looked up that word foothold because in my mind, when I think of a foothold, and maybe you think of this too, I, I, I think of like my foot getting caught in something. Like if your foot's ever gotten caught in the door when you're trying to walk through or tripping over something. But the Greek word for foothold is actually this word topos. And topos actually it means it's a room, a space, a place. 
So when he's talking about not letting anger have a foothold in your life, he's saying don't just not get tripped up on it. He's talking about when we have the tendency to create room in our life for anger. Think about that room in your house, and maybe you have one, or that closet that becomes like the cluttered space. You just throw stuff over there, and before long, stuff starts streaming out of that room, and then it's cluttered up the garage, and then it's in a closet over there. We kind of do that naturally with our stuff, but Paul kind of paints that picture that we can do that with our emotions and with our anger as well. Is that if we don't deal with it, it becomes this space in our life that begins to define our life. It begins to define not only our relationship with ourselves and God, but our relationship with other people. And then it becomes this stumbling block for us. Now, you might read and see, give the devil a foothold. And some of you might think, like, I don't know if I can like conjure up in my head the little red man with the pitchfork and the horns like I'm going to dress up for Halloween or I'll see at Halloween. Paul, Paul's not necessarily talking just to that. Don't, don't miss out on what he's saying there if, if that feels like a stumbling block for you. He's not beyond whether you believe a literal actual devil or not. He's saying that that anger, when it's given a space in our life, it becomes a toxic evil. It becomes something in our life that opposes the way and the will of God in our life. He says, when you make room for that, what you're making room for in your life is something that opposes the very vision you have for your life, the desires you even want for your life, the desires God has given you for your life, is that when anger is allowed to live and to fester and to grow within, it begins to destroy you from the inside out and choke that godness, that goodness within you. And he's painting that dual picture, that warring within us. Because think about it. When we prayed the Lord's Prayer, we said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying, God, I want you to lead my life. But when we give room for anger in our life, there is a warring reality in leadership, we're allowing anger to lead us instead of God. And he warns us about that because he knows what happens when anger is allowed to live is that it divides us. I mean, we need no data on that, but there is data. How many of you, you, you instantly, you thought of friends, family, people that you even have maybe a rift with because of their anger or your anger? When anger is allowed to grow from the inside out, it divides us. As Christians, it distracts us from our mission. We often talk here about we're being in the city for the city, but how do we exist for others and for the love of God when we live angry and anger rules and reigns in our lives? It distracts us from helping those we long to help, doing the good we know we're called to do. And it discredits our witness. Anger and letting that live in our life destroys our credibility not only as Christians and our witness as the church, which we've seen that, 
You know, we often say here, many people know more about what the church is against than what the church is for because maybe we have let anger fester within us and have presented something that is not the goodness of God. But it destroys our credibility with our friends and our workplaces. And so Paul's warning, he says, anger's natural, but if you give it place in your life, it will destroy your life. And here's the hard part about that, is that it then ripples out from just you. Your life is never just impacting you, right? It impacts every relationship you have, every good thing God desires to do, it challenges and pushes back. But Paul, if we go back to that scripture, he says this, he gives us a way to get beyond it. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Has anyone heard that before? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. As a kid, I remember growing up, my parents kept that, like they wrote that beside their bedside. And for them, that became a prescriptive rule in their relationship, that anytime there was a moment of conflict is that they would not let the day end before resolving it or trying to resolve it. And I've heard a lot of people interpret that uh, this way, that do not let the sun go down on your anger means do not let the day go by without taking care of things and moving on. But I don't know about you, but I don't get over things very quickly. <laughs> you can ask my husband. He's not here today, so I'll just say, Sometimes we need space, and when Paul's saying there, it's not a prescriptive timeline Paul gives us in dealing with our anger. But what Paul is saying to us is this, do not let your anger get the last word in your life. Do not let anger be the end of the story, the end of a matter or situation. Again, he paints this picture that if the sun is going down, if the sun is setting on your anger, then your anger has gotten the last word. And he said the anger is never meant to be a lead measure in your life. Anger, like any other emotion, is not a driver in your life. It is helpful. It is a tool. But when your work in your life and in your relationships ends with the emotion or ends with anger, he says that's when your life is, begins to fall apart. That's when it all begins to fall apart and the division and the distraction and the discrediting takes over in your life. And so do not, for us, do not let anger get the last word in your life. How many of us have done that? How many of us have gotten angry with somebody and that's the last time we've talked to them? Or we've got angry with somebody and we just, we shut them out. It's so easy to do, especially in our digital space. I just have to unfollow you. And anger gets the last word. Paul's saying, don't stop with your anger. Do the work. Because like any emotion in our life, if it's a tool, anger is often pointing us to something. Anger is useful. 
Anger is part of our bio biology, part of our evolutionary response to engaging in this world and staying safe and whole and healthy. So asking our anger, what are you pointing to? What boundary has been crossed? What value of mine has been broached up against? Why am I angry or why might they be angry? Anger can point us to the problem, but anger cannot solve the problem for us. And when we leave it there, it all falls apart. The brother of Jesus, James, he further elaborates on what Paul says. I want to look at what he says for just a minute. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Centuries before we have psychology and data and science to help us understand our human emotions. James says this, he says, just your human anger and emotion does not lead to the life God is calling you to. So be slow to be angry, quick to listen, and slow to speak. Our human anger does not produce in us the righteousness of God. If you could walk away today with anything, this is, I think, what we all need to hear. Our human anger does not produce the life-giving relationships we desire. Deal with the anger. Um, I, I want to stop because I know there are so many people and I, that are probably saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not that kind of angry person, but Joy, what about self-righteous anger? Because I am angry, but I'm angry about the right things. Like I'm angry about injustice in the world, oppression. I read uh, things in the news headlines and I, and I see things and it really, really gets me angry. I'm not just angry and wanting to destroy f relationships and friendships. It's self, it's this righteous anger. It's good anger. It's a kind of anger, right, that Jesus had. I would push back on that. I think sometimes we want to justify our anger because it's our anger, because oftentimes it feels right to us and we can explain it because it's ours. And then, you know, and I hear this all the time, we say, well, Jesus, he flipped over all those tables, Joy. Remember that story? That's in scripture. That's righteous anger. But do you know, Jesus flipped over a table one day, one day. Before Jesus flipped over tables, Jesus sat at many more tables than he ever flipped over. And before Jesus judged Jerusalem and called out its leaders, Jesus wept over the brokenness and the pain in his world and set about to do something about it, not just get angry. So before you're ready to flip over tables, remember that was one day of Jesus's life, whereas over 12,000 days of his life, he lived with people. He knew them. He listened. 
He did the work. He let his anger point out the problem and then set about saving those who needed salvation and bringing forgiveness and releasing the captives. See, our righteous anger can feel holy to us again because it's ours, but we can deceive ourselves into thinking that I need my righteous anger to fuel the work. But have you ever met someone who does like MMA fighting or kickboxing or jiu-jitsu? I can't even say that because I can't do those things. The best fighters are not those who are angry. In fact, I've talked to some of my friends and they have told me that usually when you're angry, you make mistakes and you don't fight well. That the best fighters actually are those who are cool, calm, and collected and don't let their anger get the best of them. And and when you think about all of the activism and the activists in our world who are doing incredible work against injustice, and you listen to their story, so many of them share a similar sentiment that being angry at the problems burns them out and actually makes them not able to do the work. But when they lean into the purpose of their work, when they lean into the passion of their work, not the anger, when they don't look for anger to fuel them, They are energized for the work. In fact, there's been a lot of articles that are starting to come out in the world of activism about incorporating play and joy into activism work. Because when we look at just the problem and get angry and mad, we're usually immobilized and can't do much. And so when our anger points us to the problem and we step out of the anger and seek to do the work, we make a difference, not just a point. And that is what I think these early Christian leaders are telling us. Anger is inevitable. You being offended is inevitable. But how you choose to respond to it not only impacts your life and whether you experience goodness and joy and peace, but it impacts the entire world and the mission God's called you to in the world. And so that's why James tells us, be slow to speak. Slow to speak, or I would say slow to retreat and share and slow to say anything and listen. In fact, James says, the only things James says that you need to be quick in doing when you're angry is quick to listen. And he doesn't say, just hear what someone's saying. He's talking about listening, active listening, that listening that's getting behind the emotion and saying, why are they so angry? Why are they so upset? What is their anger being fueled by? Do they not feel safe? Do they not feel secure? Has somebody hurt them? What is behind the offense? Slow to speak, quick to listen and slow to be angry. Friends, what would your life look like? What would your relationships look like if the next time you got angry, if the next time somebody offended you, you could step back and analyze the anatomy of your anger? 
and let God do the work only God can do to leading you to solving the problem and not just staying angry. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we come to you today and we realize that there are small things, there are big things, there are all sorts of things in our lives that that God hit at us every single day. That for some of those, those people are not just annoying people on, on social media, but for some of us, those people are people who have deeply offended us and hurt us in our lives. God, would you show us the places maybe where we're angry? Or would you help us the next time, God, we run up against our anger? Lord, to analyze it, to stop in our tracks and say, God, would you help me understand where you're at in this? Would you use this tool, this emotion to lead me, God, not only to solving the problem, but lead me actually closer to you instead of distancing me, God, not only from you, but from the life I hope to lead. God, we give you thanks that in every season and every moment, you meet us in our good times and our bad times, that you meet us in the joy and in the pain, and that, God, you don't leave us there. We give you thanks and praise. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit uptownchurchdallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.